0: Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker.
2: Welcome to another coronavirus episode of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Bucher. You can see me on FS1, you can hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound Pre-ordered copies are available now on Amazon. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Bucher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. And it is my great pleasure to introduce my guest for today's episode, head coach of both the Toronto Raptors and the men's Canadian national team, Nick Nurse. Thank you, Coach, for taking the time. To join me. I want you to know right off the off the top that my goal is to ask you as many questions that you've never been asked before as I can.
0: All right. That sounds exciting. Good to talk to you, Rick. Long relationship we've had. I don't know if you know that or not, but we met a long time ago at lunch with Ian Whittle, the the fabulous uh yes. British journalist of soccer. A long, yes. long time ago, though. So yes well 20 plus years probably since we first met so it's good to talk to you
2: i'm wondering whether we actually ran across each other at long beach state when probably you were coming <laughs> over because that was yeah probably that i think that was a gold mine for you uh in a way basketball wise and it certainly was for me getting my feet wet uh when it comes to to covering the nba i'd I, I love being in the the pyramid. Um, But before I get to my questions for you, I wanted, because I'm a giver. I'm a giver, Nick. You may not know this, but I am. I wanted to answer a question for you, just in case someone hasn't already answered it. And that's that as a Midwestern boy who thought he was going to the University of Cincinnati on a soccer scholarship and wound up graduating from Dartmouth, I can tell you that you would have done just fine at Cornell, that the hardest part of attending an <laughs> Ivy League school is getting in. It sounds as if you had that covered. So in case no one has ever told you that, I know that that might have been a lingering question. For those who may not know, uh, Nick coming out of, uh, what, Kemper Catholic? Is, that, is Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, that's right. Um, school, in yeah. in Carroll, Iowa. Um was uh was recruited by cornell and did not go uh dad couldn't see him going to all all the way to uh uh what is it uh ithaca, ithaca. yeah, ithaca, yeah. New
0: york. yeah the, the quote is you're not going to ithaca new york <laughs> and that was back in those days rick that was the end of the conversation
2: <laughs> yeah yeah no trust me i i understand so but i'm telling you As someone who didn't expect to go to an Ivy League school and wound up at one, the absolute hardest part is getting in. Dartmouth had a great hockey team, still probably does. I know Cornell had a a great hockey team. And that's your first indicator that, you know what? You don't have to be a 4.0 in order to survive at an Ivy League school.
0: There you go. Well... I, as I say, I, I was in, always wondered how it would have went if I would have went to Cornell instead of Northern Iowa. But I think a uh, pretty good path we ended up on.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. By the way, um, so I generally do this icebreaker with, uh, with the show, with everyone who comes on. Uh, Nicholas David Nurse. Why did your parents pick that name for you?
0: Uh, I have no idea. Rick <laughs> other The only thing I can add to that story is I was going to be Nancy if I was a girl. Oh, is that right? So I guess uh, yeah, Nancy <laughs> was going to be Nancy Nurse, and, and I do know that much. So I guess they were just looking for an N. They were looking for a double N, and they there went with Nicholas.
2: Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you've been with the Raptors now since 2013, which, if my records are correct, is the longest that you've been with any organization in in one stretch is that i'm 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 correct on that right
0: yeah yeah by by a long shot it was yeah it was two about two years and move it seemed like for a long time so you know how it is in the coaching profession especially overseas but uh, yeah eight years now here it's been a heck of a run heck of a run
2: you might be the only person who is perfectly okay with last season being in the bubble and then being in Tampa Bay this year, because you've got the, you've got the moving around thing. I'm I'm thinking you might've had an itch. Like I've been in one place too long. I need something to change. (laughs) Well,
0: I don't know about that. I mean, listen, we've got a great setup here and obviously we get the great weather. Um, but man, I, you know, the electricity in Toronto when we're playing in front of uh, our own fans and the streets of Toronto, there's nothing else like it. Yeah. So, certainly miss that, but I guess that's not going on anywhere, so this is probably a pretty good alternative for us.
2: So, I'm wondering because you've traveled so much uh and and lived in so many different places, for those by the way who want to get the full rundown, uh Nick has written a book, Rapture, 15 Teams, four, four Countries, One NBA Championship, and How to Find a Way to Win Damn Near Anywhere, which I didn't check Guinness, but that might be in the top 20 for longest titles of a book. Um, but, but please go. I, re, I highly recommend it. Um, it's it's going to lead you to buying a few other books, including Stuff Good Players Should Know by Dick Defenzio. Just take my word for it. Um, order Rapture and order stuff good players should know. And uh, you'll thank me later. But I'm wondering because you've been so many places and I got to think you've got some travel hacks. Like you know how to live in various places on a semi, you know, regular basis. Like to, to, to put up for a couple months in a particular place and make it work as well as anybody might
0: yeah I guess you 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 get a little bit of that in your bones right you're yeah. you're a bit of a vagabond and and um you just man for me Rick it was always uh you know get get a get a place to to put your things and get to work man you know I did all I ever wanted to do was get my team to the gym to practice and get my team to the gym for the games and and um try to keep working at my craft really I, I tried to spend a lot of time studying film and Reading books and talking to coaches and, and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't really that bothered about um, the surroundings. I figured there was always good good in all places, and um, it was always super interesting to me to to be able to go to somewhere new and and see how to get along with people and fit in. And, and then the main job was was trying to get good at being a coach. You know, yeah. try to learn my craft.
2: What what do you think inspired you? Because uh, your curiosity of people and taking advantage of all the different places that you've been and the cultures that you lived in, what do you think it, it, it inspired you to explore those the way that you did?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think this. I think that um, when I was coming to the close of my college playing career, going into my senior year, and, and literally, you know, you're you're living you're living that man like uh every second of the day right you know Mm -hmm. it's working out it's shooting before class it's practices it's you know you're just all in on it and I was like holy smokes this is going to be over because I knew I wasn't going to the NBA or or whatever and I was getting a degree in accounting and um I just was like a year out of being done from playing college basketball I was like already kind of Having withdrawal, I you was know, missing. I was like, "Man, there's no way I can walk away from from basketball right now, hmm. right?" And and I just wanted to say, "Well, I'm gonna. I guess I'll start coaching." And and then I was kind of lucky enough to be able to play another year in England, and I you know wanted to do that. And I guess that's it. I just had a, a love for the game that I didn't want to give up on, and I wanted to try to make a living at it.
2: Now you, uh, I also read that you travel with a keyboard you play piano and you travel with a keyboard is still is that still the case yep that is the case
0: that is the case i'm i've uh i was one of those kids that my mom forced me to take lessons when i was like in fourth and fifth and sixth grade and
2: you and me both brother
0: playing about huh
2: you and me both
0: yeah i was for i was forced to play but i was playing about seven sports at the time too and i Absolutely. Well, I didn't like it very much. And about the only time I played was at the lessons and you don't get very good. And it's kind of been one of those things in the back of my mind. I kind of started liking it as I got older and could never really make any progress because of all the travel. Hmm. And I decided I wanted to make some progress. And the only way I could do it was to start bringing the keys, bringing the keys with me so I could practice every day, Rick. Gotta so- practice every day.
2: So what, what kind of keyboard I've been playing, I, I went through this similar thing. I, my parents had me playing when I was six, I got to about 12 and I, and I hated it. I was, it was like a different churny exercise and, uh, and, and, a, and a classical piece. And it was not cool by the When I was, you know, becoming right. a teenager, just, it wasn't cool. And then luckily yeah. I grew up in Cincinnati where the Baldwin music company is located and it uh, and they were starting a a program where they were teaching on electric pianos, and I had to audition to get in. And it was suddenly like, ooh, competition! Like, not I don't have to do this. It's like you have to be good enough to be allowed to do this. And right. uh, I'll never forget. I was one of the older kids at twelve. I was older, one of the older ones in the in the class. And there was a kid named Joel, nine years old. And he was already playing uh, piano for his uh, for the gospel choir in his church. And they had a quartet, a jazz quartet come in uh, when we had a recital to sort of like we all played our stuff. And then the quartet came in and entertained the the adults in in a real way. And Joel walked up there and sat in with him. And I was like, I want to do some semblance of that. Like that, that's what I want to be able to do. Um so I, I don't know wow. what your inspiration was for for playing, yeah. but what what is it that has you, I, and I've never, I, I have a piano at the house, but I've never traveled with a keyboard. So your your commitment is greater than mine.
0: <laughs> it has to be, it has to be. Um, I got a similar story, Rick, and it kind of ties in with how we opened. Um, so I got back from Europe as about, I don't know, 2007, 2008, we were, we were getting ready to start an expansion franchise in Des Moines, Iowa, in, the, in what was the NBA D-League at the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had a little lag time on my hands, and I'm surfing the net, and I'm looking around, and I find that Harvard um, offers some extension graduate classes that you can take online.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and I said, well, sounds good. I'll take a class from Harvard. And the first class I decide to take is – is called History of Blues in America. Oh. And it was it was unbelievable. Like seriously the, the professor, uh guy named Charles Sawyer, who I'm who I befriended a, a really good friends with today, he was he traveled and um was with B.B. King for something like fifteen years, was his photographer and um he had BB King come perform in the class and and uh Wow anyway so so this is this awesome class, you know, gets posted online every Wednesday night. I'd be I'd be up early Thursday. It's like you know, two hours of two hour jam session of blues and learning about the history and all this stuff. And and about midway through the class, he came in and said, "Hey, to get an A in the class, you have to do a project." And um, I, don't, I don't care what it is, as long as it's blues related. And and I said to him, you know, something kind of like you. I said, I always wanted to be able to play blues on the piano. Yeah and i said i'll i'll find a piano and i'll find a teacher and i'll i'll record a a blues number and turn it in as my final project and he said go for it so i started in on that and it was just like you mentioned as a little kid i felt like i was in fourth grade again you know it was it was a struggle you know <laughs> reading the notes and trying to play it and and um this class was virtual but it was held in a classroom at harvard i told him i wanted to come to one class you know we started to kind of again like become uh friends a little bit. He was following my team and all this kind of stuff. And and um uh, I went out there and uh he got me one lesson, uh one piano lesson with um a blues guy that was just a phenomenal teacher and a great player. And hmm. he, he gave me one lesson on how to play improv blues and mm-hmm. and uh and then literally a couple of weeks later it like clicked in and I was working I was on the road I was in every hotel trying to find a piano and I was working like heck and that's it that's what turned me on was uh was that that class I took and kind of took it from there
2: that's the beauty of the 12 bars which is like you can just improvise on it you can play forever and or every time you sit down and play something else off of kind of the same basic chords right that's 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 exactly right yeah that's that's fantastic have you ever down the keyboard sounds good yeah have you ever uh jammed with or, or talked to rick carlisle about playing piano
0: i have not i i know rick is really good i've never jammed with him there's been some suggestions of people trying to get us together yeah but uh i've not done that yet but i think he's he's really really good I think
2: he's he's uh he sat in with uh bruce hornsby and Yowza. when he was in indiana um he and I, I went in there to do a story and he invited me out to the house we knew each other through the pete newell big man camp and he had like this 12 foot grand and he had this whole he had this whole recording thing set up and um anyway we he and i whether it was i think we did it in in hawaii too at the big man camp where we found a piano in a hotel and we're just going back and forth. Um, and he can really play. I'm not, I mean, I'm okay, but he is like, he's really, really good. It was, it was <laughs> That's a lot.
0: That's what I hear. That's yeah. I hear. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Yeah. So, um, what, uh, what if anything does Toronto and Tampa have in common, by the way? Is there, is there, is this, is it, how, how much of a culture shock is it for you to be operating down there? Aside from just, and I don't even know what, what your setup is, whether you've got the family down there or how you're, how you're handling <laughs> yeah.
0: this. Yeah. um, i there's not a lot in common, I'll, I'll say that, but it's not, not too much of a culture shock for me. I actually have a home here in Florida, in uh, Fort Myers, It's kind of my off-season base. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, we are, we get, you know, we're renting a home here in Tampa, so. Pretty, pretty smooth from that end. The Raptors did a phenomenal job. We they built. They just opened a brand new JW Marriott uh, downtown, and we've kind of overtaken like one whole floor of the convention hmm. center space. And they built a practice facility, weight room, offices, locker rooms, everything here, and it's it's amazing. It blow you away if you walked in here. It really looks good. It really, uh, it's really. They've done a great job. So but again your question, they're not a lot similar. Yeah. You know? Toronto's a really big city feel. Um, cold weather. You yeah. know, lots of people from all over the world getting along, living living together in a in a really cool culturally diverse city. And um down here it's kinda of spread out in shorts and T shirts and flip flops, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, understood. I mean, I would just think I, I think that I think of of Toronto being so culturally rich, and I don't. But I've never spent any time in Tampa. I've spent some time in Florida. Uh, I just I find that I would imagine that there's a stark difference in those. But you're you're a seeker of culture exp, cultural experiences. So I figured if there was anything in Tampa that appealed, you would have found it.
0: Not yet. Plus uh, the protocol <laughs> keep us from not <laughs> Yeah, fair. Keep us from not doing, yeah. not doing a whole lot either. So you're just kind of trying to stay safe and be able to continue doing your job and enjoying the sunshine. I know the people have been nice, it's been good, it's been good, Rick.
2: So you've won, you won a lot of championships. For those who may not know, you you won a lot of championships before you ever reached Toronto. Um, high school as a player. Overseas as a coach what 8 9 times and then again in the D or G league and I've always I've always contended that understanding what it takes to win it all at any level having accomplished that having experienced it is an invaluable asset or advantage in trying to win it again at any level but I've always struggled to describe what that asset or advantage that you get from having done it. Uh, can can you can you can you pinpoint that thing that you and I mean I don't even know if you agree with that premise, but um, no, I do. What what is it that you could take from your previous experiences that you look at and say? You know what, this, this was what allowed me to get the job done with the Raptors, especially, you know, coming in and doing it your first year. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the
1: opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash
0: switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ooh, really good question. Um, well, I think as simple as this is going to sound, um, like even with the Raptors, like... I, you know, once you, we kind of got going, I mean, I kind of believed we could do it,
1: hmm. right? I, I,
0: I, I kind of like you know, right away into the season, I was like, man, we got, we got a team that can contend for this thing, and then I think that you just never really waver from that, and that's a big part of it, you know. I think that, um, as Shane, I go back to high school. I think, I think we went into that season thinking we're going to win it. Not in a, not in a, not in a, you know, we, we we understand like there's really good teams and it's a long road and there's going to be some bumps and, but, but, but we've got enough, you know, whatever mental fortitude to, to do it. And, and I think that kind of just kind of keeps building up. And, um, it certainly was the case with Toronto. I think, I think we started that thing with very high expectations I don't think anybody was talking about us winning at all, but internally we were, and we just kept getting better and better as each series went on. And um, then the players just became super determined and they just, they just were going to win it. When we got to the finals, it was like, we're going to win this thing. You know, and they, they really laid it on the line and played extremely hard and followed the game plan and, we're, were super, super smart, Rick. mean, we were changing things on the fly, up, you know, changing coverages and, and doubling from one way on one side of the floor and doubling from another on the other side. I mean, we were really doing some high-level stuff in a pressure cooker and that was just a credit to them and their experience, IQ and toughness.
2: Does it matter to you at all that some people have discounted it because of the injuries that the Warriors suffered along the way? Like, how do you how do you... Reconcile that with the with the achievement.
0: Um, I don't really, I don't really doesn't really bother me at all. I think that, geez, we beat them six times that year in their own arena. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I mean, we beat we beat them twice. Excuse me, we beat them five times, I think, in their own arena, and six times we beat them at we beat them at home pretty handily. We beat them in Golden State pretty handily in the regular season. You know, yeah. we, we won four games on the road in the playoffs, um, so it doesn't bother me too much.
2: <laughs> so you you may not know this, but I actually had you guys going to the finals again last year without Kawhi because one, I thought as we you know discussed, like the the there was a, a an intrinsic value in having accomplished it. That you were going to have over just about everybody else in in the league, especially with the Warriors clearly not being the same. Like you had an advantage. You knew what it took to get there, and that you were going to have the motivation of your team. You know, all the guys other than Kawhi to say, "Hey, look, we weren't just a one man band. We're like we're we were good and we won for uh, reasons beyond." Kawhi, and that that would be a really powerful motivator. And then I just, I just, you know, you had young guys getting better. I just, I thought the door was still open for you to get it done. Um, Mm -hmm. but now you're in a position where you're. It's a year later, and a number of pieces have changed. Like to me, this is the uh, might be one of the hardest challenges a coach can ever have, which is when you have a group that has, as you said, like can play for a championship, knows it's capable of winning a championship. And now you're like, what do you, what are you gun for? What's the motivation now for this team? What do you, what do you, how do you get guys to make the sacrifices necessary to play at their peak? If the reward isn't like the same carrot that you had been chasing the last couple years.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly different. I think you know you've already mentioned it. I think we're you know four probably of our top six off that championship team are no longer here. And Danny Green, Kawhi, Marc Gasol, Serge Ibaka, um, you know all all prominent players in the league. Sure, (laughs) very prominent players in one way or another, either as team team players, defenders. You know, Kawhi does it all, obviously. Um, It's been it's been it's been a difficult, obviously our start was, was not good. I think, you know, the move and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm just approaching it like always, man. I'm just trying to get this team to max out, you know, and, and reach its potential, continue to develop some of these young guys. Um, And again, we're, we've played a heck of a lot better than probably our seven and 11 record shows. You know, we've been, very you know almost every game has been been right there we had yeah. maybe one or two one or, one or two sinkers but out of 18 games we've had 16 that have you know literally within the last two minutes have been going to go either way um so we just gotta again extend our good minutes of play figure out how to piece in some of these new guys eliminate you know some of our poor plays got to come up to average you know and extend those good minutes of play and I think this team will continue to grow. and we'll just see where it goes from there.
2: So, one of the guys that I expected to grow uh, is Pasco Siakam, and I was fascinated watching how you used him in the bubble, and even now at the start of of this season, and um, and I and having read uh, almost the the entire book uh, Rapture, I. Felt like I I discovered something in the book because I had a question about. It felt to me as if you were thrusting him into that role, uh, the Kawhi role, not completely, but giving him a lot of uh, uh, ability to to create or to be that that center point. Um, and and he's I think it's fair to say he's he's at least struggled in that somewhat. Is that fair? mm-hmm well um, so I, I, yeah Go ahead. what what um but you you kind of stuck with it and you stuck with him in the bubble and yeah I'll be honest like I'm watching I'm going I get given the ball at the top of the key that I don't know that that's gonna work um what uh what inspired you or what is your 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 thinking process in in going with that and sticking with it
0: well we obviously came back into that year, you know, with Kawhi gone, and and um, you know the the opportunities for him to kind of move up another kind of level as mm-hmm. the go-to guy or the playmaker were there, and he was unbelievable, Rick. I mean, he was he was he was playing well. He yeah. made second team All NBA last year. I mean, yep. he was he was doing it. Um, even even we had a five-game road trip. Uh, right before march 11th when the when the pandemic hit and he just was slicing and dicing all the way in the fourth quarter of every one of those games he's either scoring or finding it you know creating the shot for other guys and we closed out all those games you know on the road at some tough places and big wins and we were rolling and he was rolling um, at a super high level and um, for whatever reason i mean, he wasn't alone. There was certain guys that just didn't react very well to the, all the time off. Hmm. Um, and he never really got his groove back. And I guess from my standpoint, I was hoping that that guy would work his, play his way into, to who we had leading into the pandemic, Yeah, you know, and that's, I guess that's it. He just didn't quite come out of it. Even, even Mark Gasol didn't come out of it playing the way he, played, you know, and that, that, saying all that, we come within a possession of getting past uh, Boston. And if we would have, who knows what would have happened.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. And it's also a matter of like, what what are your alternatives at that stage? Right. I mean, this is, this is a guy who's right. made your team successful playing that way. I, I, I totally get that. I, I guess I expected coming back to this season, knowing Pascal a little bit, like he would have been super motivated and he would have turned it um, or or found that groove especially coming back in a regular season where let's face it you know not everybody's dialed in right now right um mm-hmm. but um i wonder if some of the personnel that you've lost has changed the spacing for him too and just made it a lot harder that that, that that's a factor in his struggles in being able to get to where he wants to get to and 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 uh, For me, it's it's just being able to handle the ball in tight space has, has looked like it's the biggest struggle right. for him, being able to get a shot.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. The, I think the personnel changes certainly affect it. Um, you know, just, it just changes the rhythm, right, of what you're used to seeing. Yep. And it's going to take him some time. He's, he, he did. He got off to a poor start. Um, he's had... He had a good stretch of about four or five games, and then he you know, struggled a little bit, picked up a little bit of a, a leg injury. So it's a little bit of a working process to try to get him back to to that guy. But he's shown a few flashes here this year, but um, but we're just trying to get him to be that energetic, run the floor, open floor, you know, play on the catch a little quicker guy that he had all the success with.
2: Yeah. So what is it that that you think that this team? is capable of we talked about like setting that that bar or what's the goal uh, what what is it that you think is you can that you've sold this team on or that you aspire to achieve with it?
0: Well I think again Rick we gotta we gotta you know first thing we got to do is is get ourselves playing just a little bit better right I think again there's been a lot of good play. I just want to get in contention to, to get in the playoffs. Right. I think, mm-hmm. I think you, you gotta, you gotta do that first and we're going to have to continue to improve and build up, uh, get some of these younger guys experiences, get the, get the OG and of the world to move up a level. Norman Powell's, those guys are, are getting, you know, they've been with us a few years now and they need to take over leadership type, bigger roles. We've got to develop a, um, some type of big man rotation, you know, that, that can pick up the pieces that Mark and Serge left, left there. Hmm. Um, and that's it. I just think that you got to get in the playoffs. And then I, I take our chance. I think, again, on a nightly basis that we, we come out and we give, we give teams a lot of trouble. And if we could just play just a little bit longer stretches of better basketball, we can get on the right side of the, the win-loss column.
2: For for some people who may not know, you've been uh, a figure in the evolution of the way the NBA game is played in terms of being more of a drive and kick, the emphasis on three-pointers. If I'm not mistaken, I think you guys lead the league right now in three-point attempts. Uh, and you've, you're known for your offensive creativity. Uh, I, I wonder, what, what's your feeling about the game today and the way it's being played, the state of the game?
0: Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's, um, the game has evolved. As you, as you know, I would say the first thing is, is, you know, take six years ago or something and fast forward to today, the amount of threes that people are shooting, it's just an astronomical difference. Yeah. Right. So offense is, pretty much league-wide have, have gone to a lot of spacing and a lot of five-out, a lot of bigs that, that shoot, a lot of more pick-and-pop, um, those kind of things. I'm not sure the defensive side of it has adjusted as quickly, but I see that coming. People are changing the way they're guarding more. It's pretty you know, It used to be a little standard. Everybody kind of had the same coverages mm-hmm. night in and night out right and I but I think that's changing you're seeing a lot more zone you're seeing a lot more um you know just different man-to-man principles to cover the evolving offense I mean I think we're here Rick I I obviously believe it's really hard to guard the ball right mm-hmm. and um there's a lot of a lot of people penetrating and if you want to stop those guys at the rim you got to send another body and that means it's got to get kicked out that ends up in the results of a lot more threes going up. So I think I think that's the state. I think it's good. I think the league's as competitive as ever. You know, I think the games are great. And, and um, I, I like it. I'm happy with it.
2: Yeah, I'm, I, my lifelong goal is to never become a salty, cynical uh, person or writer. <laughs> Get off your lawn. Get off your yeah, lawn. Get off yeah. Lawn. I, I aspire <laughs> never to become that, right? And so there's a part of me that, like i want i just wonder you know having covered this game and and watched it and et cetera for for years i like i feel as if it's become homogenized a bit and that everybody's the the style has become kind of unified and that the creativity is uh, there is creativity i think the athleticism has has produced a creativity that you know, across the board, we're seeing guys do things that we used to think were spectacular, and now seem to be commonplace. But the the intricacies of team play, to me, seem to me seem to be dumbed down. And you, having been, you know, creative from the beginning, are you seeing the same thing, or am I am I missing something? Is there something that the the guy on the porch is not? He needs to put his glasses on 'cause he's he's not appreciating something.
0: No, I mean I think I think um you're kinda right. You know, you said you said that kind of a lot of teams are playing the same way, but yet there's there is still the I don't know, some of the the high volume leading scorers in the league have the ball every possession down the mm-hmm. floor. Right, and they're playing pick and roll and pretty much deciding what happens on every possession either they're shooting it or passing it to the guy who is shooting it yep right yep. i don't necessarily love that I, I i love the i love the space and the 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 pass pass combinations and the back door and the hit the roller and the kick out and i mean i i certainly love a much more um almost international feel where the ball's popping I, around a little bit but there's a lot of like you said you're seeing a little bit of everything you're seeing a dho on one side and the down screen on the other, and the guy comes back, and now you're into another ball screen, and it hits the roller, and it gets kicked out to the corner. You know where there's yep. everybody gets to play. Yeah, you know, everybody develops their skills that way. And I, I mean, to me, there's nothing better than watching a team that moves the ball. Agreed. You know, passes the ball, moves the ball. That's that's what I want to watch. Who
2: who would you say when you look around the league, uh, and I'm, I'm, you you don't get the vote for the Toronto Raptors? Who do you look at and say they're they still maintain or come closest to maintaining that equal opportunity offense
0: well um i mean i, th- I still think san antonio does okay. it as well as anybody I, you know yep. i really do they 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 play with pace they cut hard they, they get it from side to side you know i think they were they were one of the people in the forefront of that man when they had those great teams man were they fun to watch right and even uh, you know I think Golden State man you know yep. obviously they had some of the greatest shooters ever known <laughs> all on the same team but they did they that I just digress there. a little one of the things that playing against them that was I couldn't believe how fast they ran mm-hmm. like the entire game how fast they were moving on offense like I mean, talk about conditioning and talking about a mentality. I remember saying to my team several times in the series, I know they're running fast. And you run fast
2: too. You, know, <laughs> you run fast too in
0: case of, you know. I remember saying that over and over yeah. in the locker room. I'm yes, sure that went over big with Marcus All. No, it just blew me away. <laughs> it did. It just blows you away watching how fast, you yeah. know, Curry and Thompson and. And Draymond and those guys were just doing it—the speed and and still the rhythm, yeah. Do it with timing, and you know what I mean. Just like one little mistake, and bang, you paid for it either with a back cut or a three ball. You know, just just at, at electrifying speed. It was really something to watch them play.
2: Well, to me, that's the thing—is it's not just the physical speed because I think we have a lot of that in the game today, but it's their mental speed, their ability—you know, the instant that somebody's leaning the wrong way or the defense is a step slow, that not just one guy, not the guy with the ball, but there would be two, three guys who would recognize oh, there's our opening, boom, they'd hit it. And to me that's the beauty of the game is is that uh, communication that uh, that that recognition, that collective recognition of yeah. something that happens and and you work together. And that's the part that I just, I don't see enough of. You know, it's it's. I mean, you've probably done it yourself. Like the number of possessions that are one pass and a shot uh, in today's game is is extraordinary, and it just it feels a little tedious to me at times. I hate to say that about a game that I love and a yeah. league that I've loved covering, but I, I say it because I love. You know, it 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 worries me a mm-hmm. little bit.
0: No, I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, the open floor, I think the pace has picked up so much too, Rick. A lot of people really pushing the ball and running. It's hard, to, you know, it's hard again to guard the ball, you know, the the hand mm-hmm. checking's been taken out, you know, it's, it's you know, you put your head down and head towards somebody, yep. that guy pretty much has to get yep. out of the way. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? and you better have somebody else coming in behind them to fill in or it's a layup and usually that means it's kicked out. and and like you said, there's that one pass and the shot's up. So I think the pace, the open floor, hand-checking, et cetera, have all kind of contributed to that. And um, I don't know, we've probably all contributed to a little bit.
2: Yeah. No, I, look, I get why why it, it, it works. I mean, by the way the game's being officiated, it works. I just – I wonder if there's something that needs to be done to change that. And, uh, you know – my idea is, and this is going to be revolutionary, especially for someone like you. But I wonder if you got rid of the three-point line and maybe made the lane bigger—not just wider, but longer—is would that achieve something? Would that would that make a difference, or or is that too revolutionary? I I, I even hate asking the question for someone who is as a devotee of the three. Three point shot as much as you are to suggest that, but I'm just thinking of you know I'm thinking of ideas that if some way to structure the game so that it forces more creativity and more team play.
0: Well, I think that would change the game, right? I mean, part of the reason that the threes are going up is just simple math, right? Mm -hmm. It's simple math that that yeah. You know, an 18 footer's worth two, and a 22 footer's worth three, and you shoot them at about the same clip, except where you get 50 percent more points. Yeah. You know, so it's just that's part of it. So if you wipe that out, you know, I think you're you're probably seeing a lot, you know, a lot different shots taken for sure. Um, change the spacing a little bit for sure. Uh, I'm not. I don't know. I've, I'm not so sure that the hand checking and things that that seem to uh be in play for a long time in basketball aren't, aren't a bigger culprit.
2: Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. That if 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 defense was allowed to play a little more physically that it would force teams to play and and move the ball and yep. and not get stuck, force
0: right? Force screening and passing. Yeah. Right. Force more screening and passing away from the ball.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's I think it's a great point. I think that's, that may be the simpler the simpler approach. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I I agree with you. Uh by the way, speaking of threes, this is the great question I thought I would have it answered in the book. Um and it's when when um it's rare when a player and I you didn't mention it. This is what strikes me. So uh, it is rare when a player can shoot threes better than he can shoot free throws. And yet, that's exactly... You know where I'm going. That's exactly you what before, you did your man? junior year at Northern Iowa. You led the Mid-Continent Conference uh, in in threes that year, but you might have been the only guy the opposing coach would say, hey, look, if he's shooting a three, foul him. Like, <laughs> um, So... You you gotta explain to me how a, a an acolyte of shooting, which you are. I mean, the nurse's pill has a has a ball designed <laughs> to teach proper shooting. Obviously, could shoot yeah. it. Um, explain. Please help me understand how that might have okay, been. Okay,
0: well. To- to, yeah. To, I think if I can remember correctly, I shot about 49% from three that year. Yep. And it like 47%
2: from the free and throw
0: 47, line. 47. Yep. 47% from the free throw line. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That was a, I was, <laughs> I obviously was in a mental funk <laughs> that year at the free throw line. I, 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 I do. I, I cannot explain it. I cannot explain it. It was, uh, I, I wasn't very good at layups either. <laughs> I, I used to miss a lot of I, I'd good hands that get some steals. I'd be out there one on oh and I'd blow a few of those too. So <laughs> um, anyway, I don't know. It was just a mental funk that year. The rest of the rest of the years, I shot the free throw pretty good. And then when I went and played in England, I shot over ninety percent. So I did get it figured out. Oh, Okay. Have...
2: All right. Well, I I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> dig up the um, what was it? It wasn't Brighton. It wasn't Birmingham. Where were you the first year there?
0: I played Darby. Darby. Oh, Darby,
2: that's right, right. that's right. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, so you shot ninety percent there? Interesting. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not in the book either. Those, uh, <laughs> those, <laughs> those, stats in Darby are hard to come by, my friend. I uh, basketball reference does yeah. has a lot, but they don't have they don't have those. Um, so. Uh, uh, to, to wrap it up, I'm just wondering, when you look at where guys are shooting from now, I mean, they make it look so easy and there's so many guys who can do it that are shooting from 35, 40 feet. First of all, what, what's as, a, as somebody who appreciates and is devoted to uh, shooting form, what, what what's it like for you to see that happen and evolve over the course of your coaching career
0: well first of all i think it's really interesting right i think um you know probably steph curry uh gets that started right Mm -hmm. with some of the the pull-ups and bombs that he starts shooting and and kind of players see his lower release point you know it's obviously more power yep you know if you and i were going to take a half court shot we'd bend down and shoot it from our waist to make it go Yep. the required distance, right? And, yep. and that's just kind of a, what he does. He shoots it lower, and he has more power to shoot that. And, you know, then you obviously see the rest of those guys saying, well, let me try some of that. Lillard talks about um, really having a, a strong core. He really works on his core, and he, he gets a lot of his power to shoot from from his core, hmm. which is another interesting thing to, to talk about. But, again, it's just a search for more space. Rick, you know, uh, always say offense is about creating space, and defense is about taking that space away. And and when defenses are pulling a second defender off to stop the ball handler, guys are just trying to stretch that out, you know, to open up those driving lanes. And and um, they figure they can they can shoot maybe. Eight feet behind the line, uncontested, or shoot on the line with somebody flying at them and making it highly contested. So yeah. they back up. So there's a lot of stuff going into that. You know? Yeah.
2: So where does this where where do you see the game going with this? Are we? Uh, and I'm really curious in terms of like players and positioning and shooting. Like, what's the next iteration of how the game is going to be played? <laughs>
0: i don't i don't know i i do think that that the distance will continue to increase i think you'll see multiple multiple players on on teams being able to shoot a lot deeper i think that almost everybody on the team is going to be a a driver of the basketball you know i think everybody's Mm going to see uh lanes to drive in because of trying to take away three-point shooting and and uh, one through five, those guys are going to be trying to take their matchups and put it down where I don't think that would have been the case at all, all, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago for sure. But yeah. I just think you'll probably see it continue to, to roll this way with, with players doing all, all skills, you know, handling passing shooting.
2: All right, so my last question and by the way, how did I do? I was I wanted to get a healthy number of questions you'd never been asked before. I don't know what the scorecard reads, but
0: it was it was pretty good. It was pretty good. You got some good stuff out of me. Okay, so, I haven't thought about that forty seven percent in a long, long time. <laughs> For
2: sure. Uh, <laughs> that was. I waited till the end, but that was the one that I was hanging on to. Um, yeah. But here's here's my last one that I'm hanging on to uh, that that, okay. it, that is it, I had in my back pocket. Uh, there is visual evidence that you wore a black tie with a black shirt and a black suit while coaching in England. Please explain yourself.
0: Uh, I don't know if there's any explanation for that, really, what? other than... It was probably the fashion of the day. No, you know what? I was just trying to fit in, man. It was black was black was hot back then, and I just put it all on in one day. And I wasn't trying to be Johnny Cash or anything like that, even though I'm a big Johnny Cash fan. But I I just was probably fashion of the day, man.
2: I okay, I I guess I was I you know I was alive then, and and I was trying to recall whoever. I mean, monochrome was a thing at one point, but whoo! I, I saw that and I said, "Okay, I got to ask about this." I don't know if there's an, I don't know if there's a reason behind hey, it.
0: You know, you could ask me about a lot worse things than that dressing. Let well, I tell you that much. So thanks for letting me off the hook. No,
2: not a problem. Not I wanted. I just wanted to touch the subject. I didn't want to dive full in. Um, all right. Listen, this has been a lot of fun for me. I don't know if it's been any fun for our listeners, but I, I wanted it to make it interesting for us, and I achieved it with me at least. So, um, yeah, uh, Coach, thank you very much for taking the time. It's always a pleasure. I wish you the best of luck and health going forward. All
0: right, thanks. Good talking to you after all these years, man.
2: So that does it for this episode of Buker and Friends with Toronto Raptors head coach Nick Nurse. Don't forget, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a small kindness that you can do for the show. It does matter as far as our ratings and our sponsors. In the next podcast, if all goes right, we will be joined by Blazers swingman Rodney Hood. Sure to ask him about Charles Barkley putting 100K on the Blazers to win the championship. Also talk to him about why veterans like himself and Carmelo Anthony seem to find a groove playing in Portland. If you have any questions that you'd like to be asked of Rodney, send them to at Buker Friends on Twitter and we will try to squeeze them in. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.